0: You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. Matt Levine alongside Dylan Spilko and Lauren Roche. A lot to get into today. First episode in quite a while, but first, Lauren and Dylan, you guys are holding new positions heading into next year, so... Let's introduce you guys first.
1: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Lauren Roche. I'm the new managing editor of Testudo Times, and I previously worked on the women's basketball beat with Dylan.
2: And I'm Dylan Spilko. I'm going to be the new deputy editor for Testudo Times. And throughout my history with this publication, I've, I've been on baseball, men's soccer. I covered women's basketball with Lauren. And that was a ton of fun. And excited to go into the new role. And
0: the new role includes being on the podcast. So here I am. Great to have you both along with me, but we'll get into uh, the Maryland men's lacrosse team first. A lot of the spring sports and the fall sports that played in the spring, a lot have concluded now, but uh, the men's lacrosse team, the best in the country right now. Un- first undefeated regular season since 1987, just so much riding into this postseason. One of the best players in the country, a, a ton of the best players in the country on this roster, And it's turned up to be one of the best seasons in a long time for them.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that they're, you know, headed into this Big Ten tournament with a lot of momentum. You know, they had that close Johns Hopkins game there and really came down to the wire. And I think that, you know, they're going to keep riding on that undefeated regular season and see what they can do.
2: You know, I don't think a lot of people are talking about just how good this team is. Because a lot of the other teams in Maryland get a lot of talk like the Maryland women's basketball team, Maryland men's basketball, and the NCAA tournament second round. But you don't really hear so much as to how well, like, both lacrosse teams are doing because the men's team is ranked number one over UNC, Duke, and Notre Dame on inside lacrosse. On one of the coaches' polls, the number five behind Duke, UNC, Virginia, Syracuse. And then on the NCAA men's lacrosse RPI, they're ranked number seven. So clearly they're, they're a lock for a top team, top ten team in the nation. And rightfully so. I mean, they're ten and zero. They have five wins at home, the five and zero at home, five and zero on the road. And it's just head coach John Tillman has just done a phenomenal job with this team so far. And they just have a ton of ranked wins to show for it as well. And it's not like they've gotten by easy during the regular season by any means. They've had a, a few non-ranked wins. I mean, their only non-ranked wins was against Michigan, and they beat them twice. They Actually, outscored Michigan thirty-eight to twenty-one in that combined score. their belt, that just when they head to eventually the uh, the semis at the Big Ten tournament today against Michigan at 5 p.m., that's being played in Pennsylvania. I mean, they've already faced them twice. They're 2-0 against Michigan,
0: and they, they should be in good hands with one of the best offenses. Now, they say it's hard to beat the same team three times in the same season, but I think, at least as far as I'm thinking, this this Maryland team seems to be as dominant as ever uh, that I've watched them play. And that's all because of Jared Bernhardt, who's has to be up there for the Towarton Award at the end of the season. Became the all-time winningest goal scorer in Maryland history this year. Um, just literally one of the best players that's ever walked through this program. And they didn't expect him to come back for this season. And then they were able to put on a season. So he does come back, knowing that it's his final year. It's it's he's got 43 goals in 10 games. These are numbers that are just unheard of, and he's literally doing everything for this Maryland team that's put them to where they are now Um, and it's in a spot to win the Big Ten tournament and maybe win the national title. They're that good and uh, it's it's really been him all year that's carrying them.
1: Yeah and you know it's not just their offense. I mean their defense has been a brick wall this season. I mean you have For the unanimous selections for the all Big Ten first team, you had Bernhardt and you had Wisnowskis, but you also had Brett Makar, who is a starting defender for them and has been absolutely dominant. I mean, he has just been able to, you know, he's picking up the ground balls. I think he has 24 this season and he's ranking high for the Terps and to be a unanimous selection as a defender is really a big deal.
2: And then I just want to track back to Bernhardt for a second, because what Matt forgot to mention was that he was already named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. And I, I've never been a big follower of, of Maryland men's lacrosse or women's lacrosse for that matter, never been into lacrosse. However, I, I looked up some highlights of Bernhardt before this podcast episode yesterday because I needed to catch up on some of, some of the Player of the Year's highlights. And some things I noted were his, just his shot placement, his footwork, his overall speed and goal scoring is just – phenomenal the way he's able to work into some of those defense on in some of those offensive areas and just shred apart defenses with what he's able to do I mean he makes it look so easy and you know a player is good when his speed isn't really showing out because he just does the little subtle things that he's able to slip by these defenses and just he's able to get the job done and Matt already mentioned his stats already he's got 43 in 10 games First in the nation with 4.3 goals per game, and, and the next best isn't even at four goals per game. So I mean, he's just he's been on a tear all season, and rightfully so. It's it's great for Maryland that
0: he came back for his senior season, and now it's paying dividends. And as a team, they're averaging almost 17 goals a game, which is will go down as one of their best offensive seasons ever. Uh, that stands six all time right now, with them averaging over 16 goals per game, and. That was 1977, their highest, was 16.73 goals per game, so just under 17 a game. But you talk about them having the Offensive Player of the Year, the Defensive Player of the Year, seven All-Big Ten selections, which ties their most ever from 2016. They had four first-team honors, which ties their program record from 2015. This is shaping up to be one of the best seasons they've ever had in literally every aspect of the game, offense, defense, and overall. And I think they're getting individual recognition. But like you said, Dylan, they're not really getting that – besides that one ranking that has them as the number one team. Other than that, there's other teams that people think are ahead of them. And I think that they kind of take pride in that, knowing that they're going to have to prove something still. And I think that they they ride on this mantra that they, they're never really satisfied with anything. And they're going to go into the postseason hungry to to prove the country – wrong and, and show that they are really better than everybody else
1: yeah and you talk about kind of being you know undermined a little bit you were mentioning the defensive player of the year nick grill you know Makar and grill are the only defensemen who were selected to the first team mm-hmm. everyone else is an attacker or specialist so and um head coach john tillman didn't even win the coach of the year honors for the big 10 and actually went to the Rutgers head coach. So the Scarlet Knights had, I think an eight and two record this season. So it just kind of goes into that whole, you know, they're definitely not the underdogs so they are ranked as the number one team in the country. And they've been playing incredibly, but they definitely have a bit of a chip on their shoulder headed into these uh, postseason.
2: Yeah. And just building off that, I mean, I just have some stats that I just want to relay there. The, Maryland is first in the nation in points per game. They, they averaged 27 uh, over the last 10 games They're first in scoring margin. They've had 166 goals for against 98 that have been scored on them. They're first in shot percentage and they're second in scoring offense. They're just, they're only behind UNC. There's just so many factors to this team where it's going to be so tough to stop them. And I can't stop comparing them just mentally to the Maryland women's basketball team that was first in the entire NCAA in scoring offense that Lauren and I know very well. I mean, they scored the ball at will. And I think this team is very similar, but I think the difference between that Maryland women's basketball team and how they got eliminated earlier than they were supposed to in the NCAA tournament compared to this men's lacrosse team is that this men's lacrosse team has a phenomenal defense as well. They have a defensive player in the year, Nick Grill, on their roster. And they've only given up nine – they haven't given up an average of ten goals over the last ten games. I mean, it's, this team is really the complete package, and going into – The semis against a Michigan team that they've, uh, I already mentioned, they've already seen twice. And even though you said, Matt, that it's hard to beat a team three times in the same year, I think this team is just on too good of a roll right now to kind of get stopped by a Michigan team that really doesn't match up well against them.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if you want to compare the men's and women's teams right now for lacrosse, kind of the theme of the. This season for the women's team is they've kind of had some trouble getting some consistency rolling as good as they are they've been a little bit inconsistent. When you look at this men's team, they've not had a problem with that at all. I mean, they've been utterly dominant, I would say. I think that their closest game was that final Johns Hopkins game, so they have should have no trouble with that.
0: And when you talk about the last time they faced Michigan, Maryland went down early in that game and then they go on a 16-goal run. Like that is just absolutely unheard of at at this level in the sport. And to be able to go down early, I I think they were down maybe five or six nothing. I don't remember the exact score. But then they just completely flip the switch, and you score 16 straight goals. Not only does that give you momentum, but it also deadens whatever the other team is doing and completely takes air out of their ship. So I think that's incredible. They're they're They've shown resiliency throughout the year. If they're going down early, they come back and have a strong second half. It's not that they've just... Completely ran away with the game every every game in the ten games this season. They've had some adversity. They've shown they're able to deal with that, and I think that's important because a lot of people in sports don't really want to go into the playoffs or the postseason undefeated. It's always I think it's always good to lose at least so you know what it's like to bounce back from that. But to this shows that they're able to fall down and then come back up within a game. And I think that's so important, the in-game adjustments that they've made. Uh, and then they blow them out 20-9 to nine, uh, in their other game against Michigan. So it, it wasn't close the second time. But to be able to come back like that in, in a game is, is huge, and I think that will help them going forward.
2: Two things from that statement. One, first of all, that thing about the undefeated team – you have to lose a game before the regular season's over. That's a bunch of baloney. That is not true. An undefeated team is an undefeated team. They're hard to beat. It's as simple as that. And then you look into that 16-goal run that you also mentioned. I mean, the final score was 18-12. The first time they met Michigan, final score was 20-9. So I think that 16-goal run was just a better representation of what like this Maryland team can do and how they play the Wolverines. So I think you're right. The fact that they were able to come back from that mid-game just shows – the resiliency that a team needs to go far in a tournament of any kind. And even better for Maryland in the big 10 tournament, uh, they're going to have to face the winner of Johns Hopkins and Rutgers. And they've already beaten those teams this year, twice, I believe, both of them twice. So, I mean, the, the lineup in the bracket for Maryland right now is looking pretty good for Maryland men's lacrosse. I mean, I don't really see them, uh, losing in this tournament and they're going to get a really high seed in the NCAA tournament
0: and this is another team that has a chance to to win a national title again like they did just a few seasons ago and Bernhardt was on that team as a freshman now as a senior I mean it it seems like it's coming full circle uh for them to to really make a run and, and go all the way
2: and just one player that we actually didn't mention was Daniel Maltz, who's just – he's kind of like the, the understudy to Bernhardt, but he's, he's much more than that. He's tied for ninth for the highest goals per game clip. He's averaging 3.2 goals per game, 32 goals over – I mean, I mean Bernhardt's stats, the 43 goals in 10, in 10 games kind of overshadows that, but 32 goals in just 10 matches is just – it's kind of hard to overlook that. And he also is the highest shooting percentage in the nation. And he's only a sophomore. So, I mean, Maltz is going to be a big player for them moving forward. And if he's going under the radar, that just shows how good this men's lacrosse team is. And just a stat that I had to look at, he's shooting 62.7% his success rate for shots. Uh, he's got 32 goals and 51 shots. I mean, for an underclassman to have those kinds of totals in Division One men's lacrosse, I mean, that's a, just, that's a prolific
0: pace, in my opinion. So now we'll look at the Maryland women's lacrosse team, which has struggled a little bit more than they have in recent seasons, Um, winning the national title very recently in 2019, not having the full season last year, and then coming back now with a completely new look roster. Um, Some similar faces with some players returning, but still different players than the team two years ago. So, a nine and six overall record six and five in the conference they're undefeated at home which they seem like they always are but it's where it's on the road where they've struggled only one and five and I think that this is probably a season that they're not going to really want to remember in a way they're still having success going to the Big Ten tournament finals but this is a team that really dominates the sport and they didn't do so much this year um, so I'm assuming they're going to look to do that again next year and just come back and be the same team they were two seasons ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, this team definitely got off to a little bit of a rockier start than they're used to. I mean, their first game against Johns Hopkins was postponed, and then they kind of got started late in late February. And in that game, they fell to Penn State um, 15 to 13, I believe. And from there, they kind of went on a little bit of streak. But then they faced Northwestern, which is a team – You talk about the men's team, how it's difficult to beat a team three times in one season, while the Northwestern women's lacrosse team did it to Maryland three times. So back to back in March, and that was kind of handed them their second and third losses. And then they actually, um, Northwestern is who the Wildcats ended Maryland's Big Ten tournament run in the lacrosse tournament there. So they've definitely faced a lot more adversity, a lot more losses than I think head coach Kathy Reese is used to. But It seems like they're kind of just trying to take it day by day and build that consistency and that, you know, national championship caliber team that they are. I mean, they're still doing incredible, even if their record isn't reflecting it as much. They've still been a pretty solid team. But some of these losses, I mean, I think aside from Rutgers, all of their regular season losses were sweeps. So I think Penn State swept them and then Northwestern swept them as well. So I think certain teams kind of posed some challenges for them this season. But some other ones, they came out with some really important ones like they, uh, defeating Johns Hopkins was huge for them. They were able to defeat them three times this season, twice in the regular season, and once in the Big Ten, all in very close games. The first two were nine, eight games, and the first game went into overtime, and then in that third game in the Big Ten tournament, you know, they snuck by with the 8-7 to advance to play Northwestern in that title game, and fortunately, it didn't come out their way, but I don't think that they're headed into the NCAA tournament without some momentum. I think, talk about a team that, is underestimated this season. They've definitely had some of those struggles, but I think there's still that uh, national championship caliber program that they've always been.
2: Yeah, I mean, this season is just kind of a mixed bag when you look at the just the nine and six overall record with the lacrosse, the women's lacrosse team, six and five in the conference. That's pretty so-so, but I think it's it's more of how talented the conference is. beaten is just. They're, they're growing into like they're, they're an elite talent. I mean, there's ranked teams all over this conference. And you look at the wins that Maryland has, they have two against number 17, Michigan, one against number 23, Rutgers, one against number 20, Johns Hopkins, and then they beat number 13, same John Hopkins team, in the Big Ten tournament, 8-7. to seven. They had a lot of close matches. And their losses, I mean, they did get swept by Penn State and Northwestern, which uh, Lauren mentioned before, but if you take a deeper look into that loss to Northwestern, it's not like it was in the big 10 tournament final. I mean, if you look at that game against Northwestern, I mean, it's not as, it's not as bad as as of a loss as one would think a final score losing by five. I mean, they only lost 17 to 12 and they did have a five, one lead to start. I mean, that's not going to be the part that's remembered from that big 10 tournament final game, but Maryland had a chance to win that. Going up five one against a, a really strong northwestern team that's one of the the best in the nation and then kind of just allowing them to come back eventually and letting them find their game that's what eventually ruined them however Maryland put in a good fight in that game, and despite Northwestern closing the first half on a six two run and then eventually extending their lead to 15 ten in the second half and then closing at the game to win by five I mean the last two were empty netters so I mean Maryland really had a They put in a good fight in the Big Ten final. And I think that uh, no matter who they play in the first round of the NCAA tournament, if they do make it, that they – I mean, they're going to be well off against the the level of competition no matter what because they faced it all season.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, after that game, uh, Kathy Reese, head coach Kathy Reese, had a lot to say about how she thinks this team is trending in the right direction, that they have made a lot of progress since the beginning of the season. I think you see that, you know – First two times they played Northwestern, it was a lot more of a struggle. I think you put it perfectly, Dylan, that, you know, they got out to the early start. I mean, they scored in the first few seconds of the game. I think it was just 19 seconds into the game that they were able to just get out and do it. So I think, you know, their grit, their determination is something that um, Kathy Reese loves to see. And I think, you know, they all know that there are some mistakes that they keep making, but they entered that game as uh, major underdogs because even though they were the number two seed and Northwestern was number one, Northwestern had swept them already in the regular season but it seems like they're trending in an upward direction
0: yeah I agree with that and I think what sticks out the most to me in one of the more odd stats that you'll see from this team is that they got outscored this year and still have a above 500 record uh, getting outscored 193 to 180 so you can look at that as a positive and a negative the positive is they're still finding ways to win despite other teams as an overall outscoring them but. I think there's also an underlying thing going on with when you lose Megan Taylor in goal uh, after 2019. She's one of the best goalies ever in the sport. Probably the best in Maryland history. First goalie to win the Tour Town Award. Just incredible success that she had. It's very hard to replace that. And I think that might have something to do with uh, getting outscored all season because the offense is great. I think the defense just... In the postseason, we'll probably have to step it up a little bit more if they're going to try to make a run. But like you both said, they, they are trending in the right direction. They have momentum. Uh, I think if the matchup favors them in the NCAA tournament, they're, they're going to be in line to make a run. And just, oh, well, sorry, Lauren,
2: but just one point that I just wanted to make about this team is that the defense may not be there, but the young players. Is on offense are really starting to make an impact on this team. I mean, the team's lead, leading scorer is Hannah Lubecker, who's got a team leading 53 goals in 14 starts. And what's even more shocking is she just has one assist, which I'm not really sure, hey, you pot in 53 goals and come out with just one assist at the end of the season. But she had a shot rate of just over – of nearly 50% this season of success rate, and she had a team-high 107 shots. That's a lot of shots through 14 games because the next highest teammate that she had on the roster was Brindy Griffin. And she only had 65 attempts. So Lou Becker, only a sophomore. I mean, she's, she's only going up from here. She's going to be a team's leader uh, up until she graduates. And you can't overlook the depth on this roster either. I mean, they have five players in the team with 20 plus goals. And, and uh, I mean, they're still finding success uh, despite their, their lack of defense somewhat. So I mean, whoever they find out who they're playing on, I believe May ninth, which is a Sunday, that's selection day, I think they'll be in good hands. It's a young competitive team. They faced similar to the men's team, they faced a lot of solid competition all year. So no matter who they face, they're gonna they're probably gonna match up somewhat well and it's just gonna be patching up that defense, which could really put them over the top. And NCAA tournament, start of a new season. And all all coaches say that so it's just the start of a new season once uh, they find out who they're playing. they got to shore up that defense.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I don't think that you can talk about this Maryland team and this Maryland defense without mentioning Lizzie Colson. I mean, the redshirt senior was the unanimous Big Ten defender of the year. So even if, you know, the whole defensive front isn't there, she has definitely showed up. I mean, she's got 51 ground balls, which is, I believe, averages about 3.4 a game, which is ranks in the top three in the Big Ten. She has 4.6 draw controls a game, and she's caused 42 turnovers. I mean, she hasn't played since uh, the end of the 2019 season in that national championship game against Boston College. Uh, she tore her ACL, and then the coronavirus put things on hold, but she has been absolutely dominant and a driving force and a leader for this Maryland team this season. And her veteran experience has definitely come in handy. I mean, she has been an absolute catalyst for this defense that has been a little bit slower this year. On April 8th, when the team played Rutgers, I believe um, Jolatano, our women's uh, lacrosse writer, was talking about this. She had a career-high seven ground balls and six cause turnovers. So unbelievable performance for her, and you know, kind of headed into the headed into the um, uh, big the NCAA tournament. I think she's just going to continue to be that catalyst for this defense and for this team, and continue to use that leadership that she has and see how she can continue to add these accolades.
2: So Maryland women's lacrosse, they'll find out who they're playing on May 9th, which is next Sunday. And just one of the other. So obviously the lacrosse teams in Maryland, very successful. And one team that's finding success in Maryland is Maryland baseball. Overall record, 19 and 13. Uh, they're 11 and three at home, five and five away. And they're on a six game winning streak. They have a lot of things going their way. They've won nine of its last 10 games. And they've beaten teams like Northwestern, Iowa, and Minnesota, who's in the basement of the Big Ten. But overall, they're playing much better than they were at the beginning of the season. And no one knows more about the Maryland, men's, Maryland baseball team than Matt Levine.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Dylan. That's a lot of high praise from you. But, um, yeah, this team is right now playing as the hottest in the conference, and it could be the hottest in the nation. If you break it all down, you say nine of their last ten they've won. They've won six straight. They've won three straight weekends, only with one loss in there to Iowa. Uh, they swept Ohio State three weeks ago. They go three and one, and in the weekend against Iowa, and Northwestern beating Northwestern twice for the second straight time. So they're now four and zero against the Wildcats this uh, this season. Uh, they pick one off Iowa, which is a really solid win because Iowa is just right above them in the standings right now, and then. They did what they were supposed to do, beat Minnesota three straight times. Um, Only one of those games was close, which was game two. And Maryland won four to three in a walk-off walk with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. And it's the second time they've done that this season with a walk-off walk. So just finding ways to win, I think, is the theme right now for this team. Um, Their offense has been incredible. The pitching has been really good. The defense can use some cleaning up in terms of the errors that they make, but their offense has just been a juggernaut this year. There's been so many different guys, the bottom of the order producing as well. And I think when you break it all down, the fact that they've had two walk-off wins and they both come with the bases loaded and a, a batter works a walk, uh, that's just small baseball to me. And they're, they're taking every at-bat seriously, whether it's the first inning or the ninth inning. Um, not chasing pitches out of the zone, putting good swings together, putting good at-bats together. And Rob Vaughn has said this, their head coach, all season, that he's working for this team for a pack offense this year. And what that means is that everybody sacrifices themselves for the team. So when you see a runner on second and a situation where you can bunt, it doesn't matter who's up at bat. It could be their best hitter or their worst hitter in the lineup. He's going to try to have them bunt to sacrifice the guy over to third and make it easier for them to score. And same thing if there's runners on base and a fly out comes. um, If it's not a sack fly, but the runner still tags up to third, there's an opportunity there that you get yourself out, but you're giving your teammates behind you opportunities to drive in the guys with better chances when you get closer to home with a guy on third. So just a sacrificing offense like that, I think, is so successful. And then the pitching has been incredible. So that backs up everything else. Um, And this team has now put itself in a conversation. That's what they keep saying for the NCAA tournament. So uh, a really good season they have put together and should be exciting the rest of the way with four weekends left.
1: Yeah. You you, You talk about kind of that, that they put themselves in that conversation. I mean, I think it's important to note that in that first part of the season, they were just two and six in games that were decided by two runs or less. And in the second half of the season, they're five and no in those games. And that includes those two walk-off walks that you just referred to. So I think just being able to turn their season around is a huge, a huge statement for them. And to be able to put themselves in that conversation, as you say, really allows them to kind of continue to this stride with their confidence up. And I think that they're peaking at the correct time of the season for themselves.
2: And now that Maryland sits in fifth place in the Big Ten, they're only two and a half games back from Indiana at the top of the Big Ten. So just looking at the season now for either Lauren or Matt, a question here. Despite whether or not they make the NCAA tournament, if they somewhat keep this run going but just barely miss the NCAA tournament, compared to where expectations were at the beginning of this year, would you call this season a success
0: with just four series left? Yeah, I think if they make the tournament, it's a success because no Big Ten tournament this season, so they can't prove themselves there. Um, and they did that in 2019. They were able to pick up a couple wins in the Big Ten tournament. Then they don't make the NCAA tournament. So to be able to start off the way they did last year, going 10-5 and in the first 15 games, having Maxwell Costas bat 470 in 15 games, which is just unheard of numbers from him, um, and he's done that every year now. But the way they were going last year to then have that season cut short, that just takes so much momentum away from you. But then you have a year off of all of what they've done in the off season is really showing now because a lot of guys struggled in the fall having not played for so many months. Like when you don't see a pitch for that many months, it's so hard to hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball from Sean Burke You're not going to want to hit that in practice. So the way they've now come into the season, struggled a little bit to start, like you guys mentioned, and losing those close games early on to then all of a sudden completely flip the script in the second half of the season. This is only a 44-game regular season, all Big Ten games. So there's no midweek games for them to get their jitters out or get the rust off. You're playing just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you have a week off until you play again against a conference opponent. So every game is – just so high motor, so intense, and it's tough to work on. Baseball is a sport where it's tough to work on stuff in practice sometimes because it's so situational, and you get that in a game more so than in practice. But the way they put things together has been incredible. Um, so for them to make the tournament, I would say, is a success because they were projected to finish right around that 5-6 spot in the regular season before the season started. Uh, but when you, when you look at the players that they have on this roster, you had Sean Burke named the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year in the preseason. You had uh, Maxwell Casas named the Big Ten Preseason Player of the Year. But this is not by the conference. This is by different uh, baseball outlets. But Jason Savakul, the Freshman of the Year in the preseason. So they're getting these accolades. And then you also have uh, Casas, the first-team All-Big Ten, Burke first-team All-Big Ten, so many different things. And it's not only them stepping up, it's other guys too. Bubba Eileen in the outfield. Ben Cowell's leading the Big Ten in home runs now at 13, which absolutely came out of nowhere. Slugging percentage as well. He's slugging 718. And he's second with R- in RBIs with 39. So they're getting production from other guys in those top three that I mentioned that got the preseason accolades. Um, and I think if they're able to make that tournament, then I would say that the season is a success. If they finish right there in fifth or sixth and they don't get the bid, that's just going to be so devastating, I think, because they're doing everything right at this point. I mean, there's nothing they can do better than they are now. They've won nine of their last ten, and they have six straight wins, and they're doing this at the end of the season. If they're able to continue even a little bit less of a run than this but still win games and be above 500 the rest of the way, they're going to be in a good spot for this. Um, and getting there would be huge for the program, I think.
1: Yeah, and you talk about, you know, some of those preseason athletes that they were collecting. Uh, Matt Shaw said recently that, you know, coming into the season that they knew that they had that talent, but ultimately they knew, they slowly started to realize after that rockier start that talent wasn't going to be what won them games. And I think that's when they kind of started to come together and shift their mindset and really be able to build on this momentum. So, I agree with what you're saying. I think, you know, if they make the tournament this season's a success, I think all the seasons in this year have been a little bit wonky with everything that's going on with coronavirus protocols and everything. And for this team to be able to come together and turn it, up, turn it around at the right time hopefully allows them to earn themselves a spot.
2: I just wanted to touch up on uh, shortstop Ben Cowles real quick. You mentioned him before, Matt, but he's leading the Big Ten home runs with 13. He's leading the Big Ten slugging percentage. And he's second in the Big Ten with runs batted in with 39. And you've covered this team for some time now. Just when he was a sophomore compared to when he's a junior now, just what has he done differently on the field that has allowed him to just improve as a
0: player and to ultimately stand out on this Maryland roster? So even as a freshman, he was getting playing time as at second base and starting in the lineup, but he batted somewhere between eight, not seven, eight, nine in the order Um, And then A.J. Lee, who was their senior shortstop in 2019, he gets drafted by the Houston Astros after his Maryland career. And Cowles moves over to shortstop, and nobody really knew how this guy's going to produce. And, again, he played in, I want to say, somewhere between 49 and 52 games, whatever they played in 2019. He played in almost all of them. And he hits three home runs in that entire freshman season, just three. To where he is now, I mean, even last year you talk about it, he's a very solid defender at shortstop, but the offense just wasn't there in the 15 games, hit three home runs again. But the development to go from 50-something games and hit three home runs to then 15 games and hit three to then now where he is uh, almost a little bit more than halfway through the season, having 13 home runs, having a home run in all nine weekends this season, uh, the adjustments that he's made offensively that – if you ask him about it, he's not going to tell you. He doesn't like to, to – he's really humble about it, the, the adjustments that he's made, but um, he doesn't call himself a power hitter. He just says he's going to do whatever the team needs, and if he gets into one, he gets into one. But what, when you watch him hitting out, his batting stance, he stands all the way back in the batter's box with his feet very close together, and that allows him to get more momentum when he takes that leg kick, uh, that big leg step when the pitch is coming to then swing through the ball. You get more power generated from your back leg that way. And that's worked for him. And you, if you watch his swing, it's completely changed, too. He doesn't chase out of the zone as much. He just sits fastball and waits for a fastball, knowing that he hits that better than a breaking ball. Um, and, and Rob Vaughn really snuck him down in the order to start the season, batting sixth or seventh, really, to start. But now he's batting third in the lineup. And that's with Randy Bednar, who you can argue that that's their best player. He goes down with an ankle injury a couple weeks ago, uh, trying to beat out. It's, it's typical, Randy, trying to beat out a ground ball when they're already up six or seven runs in the last inning. Just no need to do that, but that's the kind of player that he is. And he sprints towards first base, steps on the bag the wrong way, and hurts his ankle. He hasn't played since then. Uh, he'll probably come back in a couple of weeks from now. But with him going down and batting in the two spot, then they moved the lineup completely to have Shaw bat second, Cowles bat third. And he's just produced more than anybody in the Big Ten right now. Uh, just his approach is completely different. I think he's just more mature in how he's attacking the game. And and credit to Maryland's hitting coach, Matt Swope, for completely changing uh, Ben Cowles offensively. Just become such a good player. And Rob Vaughn joked about it a couple of days ago that he thought Cowles was going to be a four-year player. but uh, he's draft eligible after this year for the Major League Baseball draft, and he's probably flirting with the opportunity to, to get picked after the season he's having. So Maryland
2: baseball, only four series remaining, one against Illinois that is currently in eighth in the Big Ten at 14-14. Then they move on to Purdue, who is in third to last with 11-20, and 20. and then a really tough slate with Michigan and then Indiana, who are first and second. Uh, Indiana's in first with the twenty-nine record. Michigan with the same record, but sitting in second. So it's going to be a really tough stretch for Maryland baseball moving forward. But if you had to
0: guess, just where they would finish, I would say with the the run they're having now. We talk about the record at home, eleven and three. So they're they're going to travel at Illinois. Illinois hits the ball really well. Um, Right now, they're below Maryland in the standings by. three and a half games, but I, I would say Illinois probably picks up one on them uh, just because it's on the road and they're a good team at home and Maryland has been 500 on the road. So if I'm going to predict that, I would say Maryland goes 2-1 and one this weekend against the Fighting Illini. They come back against Purdue at home and I'd say they sweep them again. Um, this is a team that just defends home turf and Rob Vaughn says championship teams don't lose at home. Um, sleeping in your own bed – Making your own food, no hotels, no travel. That plays a huge role into playing three games in three days. Um, so I think that they're going to have a lot of success against the Boilermakers at home. Michigan's going to be, Michigan and Indiana to close out the season. That's where we're going to see if this team is made for the NCAA tournament. Um, because they've, they split with Michigan earlier in the year when Michigan was a ranked team uh, in College Park. They picked up one of those wins. They scored 17 runs in that game which they've had, they've had a couple of games where they put up absurd double-digit numbers and runs. But to do that against a top 25 team is even more impressive. Um, so that'll be a competitive series as well. Depends how Maryland pitches in, the, in those games. And then to have Indiana as the number one team in the Big Ten right now come in in the last series, that's where Maryland's going to have to make the statement. At home, closing out the year, uh, and right around where the selection show would be or the selection date would be. they're going to have to pick up some wins there too. So despite the run they're on now, I think they're putting themselves in a good spot, but there's still work to be done and they're not looking ahead because this, this slate, despite two teams that are below them, it's, it's going to get hard at the end. So uh, I think they're ready for it and it should be interesting to see where, where they end up after those Michigan and Indiana series.
2: And just moving on from uh, Maryland baseball, I feel like we can talk about Jake Funk's selection in the NFL draft very quickly to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, I think it's an ideal spot for him. Jake Funk running back at Maryland football. I think he's going to, I think he's going to be a really good factor there. I think it's a destination that could really, factor him into Sean McVay's offense. I think, I think the Rams are overall a good spot for Funk, but I wanted to get everybody's opinion on that because obviously things can differ.
0: I think it's a good spot too. Um, and he, he's the type of kid that's just not going to – he's not going to he, – he'll make the team because that's who, what he's done all, all his life. He was a two-star recruit out of high school. He's the leading rusher all time in Maryland high school. Uh, in the records but at Maryland tore his ACL twice uh, comes back from that didn't know if he was going to play his last season because the Big Ten shut it down at first then he gets the opportunity to do that and that's exactly that that's part of the reason the Big Ten put this on I don't know if they had it in mind so much that they'd give players an opportunity to get drafted with a season that they'd have but that's exactly what it did for Jake Funk he had a phenomenal season, averaged over eight yards per carry this past year, and then he gets drafted in the seventh round. So, lucky for him that they were able to have the season that they did this year, even with the two shutdowns that they had. Um, that put him in a, a spot to get picked. And I think it's a good spot for him, like you said, Dylan, with an offensive minded coach like Sean McVeigh, uh, a team that has success, a new quarterback now. It, it should be, especially a, a kid from from Maryland going to LA. I think that's, that's a cool story as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, his willingness to really step in anywhere, you know, stepping as that special teams player can really give him that edge that he needs to make the roster. I mean, Matt, you talked about his personality and his drive and that's what will get him there. But I also think that willingness to really just like step in and adapt to whatever he needs to can really give him that edge. And, you know, hopefully we see him do well and do good things in Los Angeles.
2: And just looking at that Rams roster, I mean, if he makes the team and let's say he makes it for special teams, I could easily see him getting carries this year. I mean, he's a very versatile back who could, on, on a Sean McVay offense, who loves using a, a plethora of running backs. And if he manages to get Funk in there, which I believe is completely possible because they are going through a rotation. They still have Cam Akers, who's who's still very young. He's, he's very raw. And then... You look at Daryl Henderson, who I believe they still have. Malcolm Brown is probably still there. So they, they they they've always run with a kind of a trio of running backs. So if you're asking for a, a rookie, kind of unproven running back like like Funk, who hasn't who has yet to make the team, obviously, then I think it's a perfect spot for him because I think it gives him the chance to uh, show what he has in an offense that features a
0: lot of people. Yeah, I think it also. I mean, you could look at it one way that there's not really a lot of room in that running back room, but it'll help him, too, um, looking up to guys like like the guys you mentioned that are ahead of him and have been there for a couple of years. But then also to have a veteran quarterback now in Matthew Stafford, I think is is huge because um, that guy has literally seen it all in the NFL. So the, the talent they have on that team might be a lot, and you might – be thinking that he is, he's going to struggle to make the team. But with all the things we've mentioned about him, he's, he's not going to allow anything to happen where he doesn't make it. He's just going to fight, 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 and he'll get on somehow, whether that's as special teams or in the running back room. I'm assuming he'll start as a special teams player like most rookies do that get drafted that late. But um, a couple of years from now, we could be seeing him make an impact on offense for the Rams, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at the Rams, they have a running back by committee system. So he does have the opportunity to kind of step into that in a big role. And even though he will be competing with the spot, I think it presents more opportunity for him rather than kind of takes that away.
0: So that'll do it for this episode of the Testito Times podcast. We really appreciate you guys joining us and listening, and we should be back maybe over the summer um, with some, maybe NBA draft news, depending on what goes on with the Maryland basketball team and just news in general, closing out these spring seasons. But for now we say so long. We thank you for joining us.